Well, if you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Romans. Uh, we went through all the way up through like Romans 10 for the longest time, uh, chapter by chapter. And as we go towards the end of the book of Romans, I'm going to just kind of kind of take some spots and hit some spots that I want to hit. i got so many things in the next couple months I want to preach on. And so I'm kind of going to do some spots rather than just every little word that we get to. Although I love it, I just want to hit some key things. Um, but this morning's message, a living sacrifice. Um, I know that, the, as I've said many times, and I hope that you'll take it to heart once again, John MacArthur said one of the most dangerous things that we can do as a body of believers is to come to church and the pastor says, open your Bibles to, and you have in your mind, oh, I've heard a message on this before, and you're kind of going to coast mode. Don't do that. Fight it. And with everything within you, ask God what He wants you to learn from it. Ask God what He wants to teach you today. Um, I've said for years, and I'm just going to kind of jump on a little rabbit trail just for a minute because I'm good at it sometimes. Um, Over the years, I've kind of made it a practice, which I couldn't do when I had the heart surgery, was that I used to not tell the church when I wasn't going to be there. And I didn't tell them on purpose. People was like, oh, I didn't know pastor wasn't going to be here. Good. Because in our minds, we have a mindset that says, well, if pastor's not here, who's going to be here? And I don't really want to listen to them if they do find out who that is going to be here. I'd rather listen to pastor. Trust me, there's nothing special about me. You ought to know that by now. But we get in our mindsets that, well, i got to listen to so-and-so. Fight that. It's not about who's up here. It's about the message that's going out and the truth of it. And I've heard people say, well, I don't get anything out of the messages. You're not asking God to teach you then. Because if you're walking with God, it doesn't matter who's up here. You've got to be something that God can teach you. And so I hope all that just to say that when we come to church, we've got to say, Lord, what is it that you want me to learn today? What is it that I can take with me this week? How can I change how I live to draw closer to you through what I've heard this week? And so that's what I want to pray this morning as we get into the message. So let's just take a moment and if you would pray with me. And don't just listen to me pray. Pray with me. Um, I actually told that to some people who visited our church uh, years ago. And uh, the Paulies, before they started meeting here regularly, um, they just asked if they could use it for a special service. And I said, sure. And uh, it's kind of funny because when they say let's pray, everyone prays out loud just where they're at. And when pastor starts praying, that's time to be quiet and let pastor preach. Well, he said, let's pray. Everyone broke up in prayers. And of course, they're speaking their Nepali language, right? Well, the person, or the, there was actually two different couples, and one of the couples thought they were speaking in tongues and going crazy. I, I started laughing. They weren't speaking in tongues. It was their language. And they were just praying because the pastor invited them to pray. So, at any rate, um, I invite you to pray with me, as they do every week, and ask God these simple questions. What is it that you want me to learn? What is it that you're trying to teach me? How can I let the gospel or whatever is coming out change your life? So let's pray together, if you would. Lord God, as we come before you, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done in our hearts and our lives. We thank you for how the gospel has changed us, Lord. If it has, Lord, many of us give test- can give testimony to how you've worked in our lives, how you've drawn us to yourself, how you've changed us, Lord. You've given us new purpose. And Lord, as it says in uh, Psalm 40, that you brought us out of the miry clay and set our feet upon a rock. Lord, you gave us a new standing because of salvation in you. Thank you for your sacrifice on the, on the cross of Calvary, Lord. Thank you for your willingness to give up the splendor of heaven, to come down to earth as a man, to be God incarnate, Lord, to live a life, to be tempted in all ways like man but yet be without sin so that you could be that perfect sacrifice lord we just thank you we 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 love you for what you've done for us as it says in first john 4 we love you because you first loved us and lord you've given us a purpose and a reason to live lord we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning we ask god that you would humble ourselves lord that we would humble ourselves lord with your help lord that we would lord Lord, if there's something that we need to obey, might we be willing to obey it? If there's something to confess, what might we be willing to confess it? Lord, I pray that you would teach us what we need to know as a result of being here today. Lord, maybe something we've heard a thousand times that maybe we've gotten lackadaisical about it. 
Lord God, would you speak to our hearts and impress upon our hearts those things that need to change. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be honest about where we're at in our walk with you and then obedient enough to make changes regarding it. So Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts and do what only you can do through the help of the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning as we continue a little bit into the book of Romans, I want to hit well several verses in chapter 11 then into chapter 12 on a living sacrifice. Um, but before I tell you what consecration is, and really what this is about, it's about consecrating our life to Christ. And uh, depending on what translation you have in your Bible, it's either going to say your reasonable form of worship or your reasonable form of service. And they go hand in hand. But uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. But it has the idea of consecration. But before we get into what consecration is, let me tell you what it isn't. And this is where I think we as a church, not necessarily Harvest Bible Fellowship, but churches across America and around the globe have gotten a little bit lackadaisical of what our understanding of what church is. Um, but let, let me tell you what consecration is not. It's not going to church once a week. That's really not what it is. It's a good thing to go to church, right? Because God's Word says, and we've looked at it, forsake not the assembling, right? So it is good to be in church, and I hope that we're here every time the doors are open. I love church. I was telling um, Adria's daughter I, out there, I said, you know what? I think you might have got me beat. I said, I think your parents brought you as a baby. I started at four. I said, you got me beat. I love church. My greatest memories of a kid growing up are around church. Not everybody can say that. You say, well, you must have had a perfect church. No, there are no perfect churches. Uh, if, I've been, if I had a nickel for every time somebody in the church said something false or terrible or wrong or accusation, eh, I'd be rich like many of us. Churches aren't perfect because they're filled full of imperfect people. But my greatest memories, my greatest commitments were made revolve, and revolved around being in the church where God used men from all over the world, all over the United States to impact me, to teach me, to groom me, to mentor me, to coach me, to walk with God. I love church. I think it's the greatest institution that's ever been formed. It's not perfect because we have imperfect people. But consecration is not just going to church once a week. Consecration is not just doing devotions. There's a lot of people who do devotions, but it's not out of consecration. It's out of duty. Well, you've got to get my reading in today. You know, I made a commitment to read through the Bible this year, so I've got to get through it. If that's what you're doing it for, that's the wrong reason to do it. God's interested in your heart and what your heart, you know, where your heart is before Him. It's not in fasting, though many of us probably have never fasted in our lives. And can I just say this? Fasting is what God expected of many of us. And you look at in, in the Gospels, Jesus did not say, if you fast. He said, when you fast. He didn't say, if you give. He said, when you give. He didn't say, if you pray. He said, when you pray. You see the difference between if and when? God said in the Gospels, or Jesus Christ said, God said in His Word, Jesus said in the Gospels, it's not if, it's when. It was an expectation that He had on the early church. And yet many of us sit here, we don't give, we don't, we don't pray, and we don't fast. And we wonder why we don't see any power in our lives. We wonder why we don't see God at work in our lives. And I've had different people when I've spoken on fasting in the past, they said, well, I shouldn't have to fast. God doesn't want me to fast. How do you know you've never done it? How do you know you can't do it until you try? Uh, the man who kind of mentored me in this area, I thought he was absolutely crazy. You've met him. His name is Hubert Nolan. Uh, he runs the Hope Center in Indy. But he fasts for over 40 days every year, and he literally just drinks water. But it's amazing what he has seen God do. As I sat down with him and talked about some of the things that... that he doesn't preach about it. He doesn't tell everybody in his congregation, but just things that he's put up before God. And he said, every year when I take that fast, he said, I'm amazed. I look forward with anticipation what God's going to do through it and how he's going to mold me and he's going to shape me. He's going to work in my heart, my life. Yeah, God has that for us. But most of us aren't willing to try. Most of us aren't willing to believe. Most of us aren't willing to do. So it's not just fasting. Consecration is not just keeping the Ten Commandments. You know, there's a lot of people who try to keep the Ten Commandments and they're not believers. They're just what we would call morally decent people. Did you know that? 
I mean, there's a lot of people that are not believers and they think lying is an abomination. They think stealing is just despicable. And they're not believers. That's not consecration. A lot of people can do things that do not necessarily make them consecrated to the Lord. It's not giving God the tithe. It's, it's more than behavior modifications. Well, I'm going to quit doing this, and I'm going to stop doing that, and I'm going to get help with this addiction. That's not necessarily consecration. It's more than conformity to a moral code. It's more than just doing good deeds. It's something deeper. The word consecration means to be set apart. And by definition, it demands full devotion. And here's what it means. It means dethroning yourself and enthroning Jesus. That's what it means. To take ourselves off the throne of our lives and put Jesus Christ in His rightful spot. That's where it ought to be. But man, we live in a world where it revolves all around us. Do we not? I mean, I, I'm honest. I, I'm telling you. I, I, I said I failed in parts of this recovery where I want people to serve me. And it's like, I dropped that. Now who's going to pick it up for me? Because I can't bend over. I want it done now. Well, I'll get to it in a minute. I, I don't want to wait a minute. I want it done now. That's my selfish pride and arrogance. That's how we live. Because we are so accustomed to the world revolving around ourselves and what we want, and it's the total opposite of what God has for us. It's the exact opposite. By definition, consecration means dethroning yourself and enthroning Jesus. In our minds, I don't think a lot of us can comprehend what that means, to take ourselves off the throne of our lives. You saw what happened when a little bit of what was talk, being talked about in the Supreme Court got leaked out to the world. Man, the riots started, the, 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 the uh, big protesting started. Why? Because everyone has a right, and everyone's rights should be adhered to. At least they think, right? Because it's my choice. It's my body. It's my decision. Really? Because that's the opposite of what Jesus Christ created us for. It is a complete divestiture of all self-recognition. I don't know I think we understand that sometimes. To literally set what I want, what I desire, what I think, my opinions, my preferences aside to truly seek what God has for me. One man said it this way, it's giving God veto power and surrendering all of you to all of Him. Giving God veto power. God, I want this. And God says, no, I have something better for you. Yeah, I, say, I want this. No, this is not what you need. It might be what you want, but it's not what you need. And we willingly give God veto power to say, I know you want this, but I know you need this. Are we willing to do that? It's surrendering all of you to all of Him. It's a simple recognition that every second of time and every penny of money is a gift from God and for God. We've talked about this before. In our willingness to accept our lives as from God and for God, we've learned that there are three questions that are important. And they're good. all three of them are good questions because it tells us where we're at on the journey when it comes to our stewardship, when it comes to our material wealth. I wonder what I should do with my money. I wonder what I should do with my stuff. Good question, right? It's a good question. Anybody say it's not a good question? That's a good question. We shouldn't just live life and say, you know, oh, who cares? We should say, what? because we're at least thinking about it then. I wonder what I should do with my stuff, my money, my material wealth, my finances. I wonder what I should do with it. But as you begin to grow, and as you begin to surrender your life to God, it goes to a, a better second question. I wonder what I should do with God's stuff. I wonder what I should do with this stuff God's given me. I wonder what I should do with this wealth that God's given to me. I wonder what I should do with my finances, my talents, my skills that God has given to me. You say, well, that's a, that's a great question, right? Because it means we're beginning to grow and we're asking the questions and we're starting to think about it. But when we begin to mature in Christ, it goes to even a better third question. I wonder what God wants me to do with this stuff. Right? You see the difference? 
not what I should do with my stuff, but what does God want me to do with His stuff? And it's only then that we, we really begin to surrender everything to Him. And we're talking about being a living sacrifice. Consecration is an ever-deepening love for Jesus. A childlike trust in the Heavenly Father and blind obedience to the Holy Spirit. Blind obedience. Just think of that oxymoron for a moment. For a moment. Blind obedience. You know, as you're driving down the road in the dark, you know what you can't see? You can't see too far in front of you. You can't see all the turns. You know, my senior year of Bible college, I lived 26 miles away from the college. And I lived at a boys' home, and I was like the RA at a boys' home 26 miles off campus. And he was in the woods, twisting and turning, going through the woods, 20 miles into the bush, literally, northern Wisconsin. It was amazing that you couldn't go very fast. And if you like speed, not the place for it. Every other day, somebody was hitting a deer because you turn the corner and there's four of them there in the road. I can't tell you how many times deer bounced off my bumper while living there. Never did any damage, but just bounced off my bumper because it wasn't going too fast. You can only see as far as the headlights in front of you will allow you to see. But I'm going to go not knowing where that road goes because that's what Jesus... Remember Abraham? Go to a place that I'm telling you. Wait a minute. i got to know the outcome. What's it going to cost me? Where am I going to end up? Well, what do i got to do when I get there? You see all these questions that start begin to work in our minds and they all wrap around what? Myself. Rather than saying, God, I don't have a lot of skill. At least I don't think I do, but what I have is yours. God, I don't have a lot of finances, but what I have is yours. God, I don't have a lot of knowledge, but what I got, I'll use it for you. And God says, great. That's what we're looking for. That's the person I want to use. So it's blind obedience to the Holy Spirit. And consecration is all that and a thousand things more. But for the sake of simplicity... My personal definition is consecration is going all in and all out for the all in all. Literally, it's just going, I'm all in. I'm going to go all out for the all in all. He's everything. I wonder what our salvation means to us. One by one, if we were to say, what does it mean to you that you're a child of God? What does it mean to you that you put your faith and trust in Him? And that now you're called to be a follower of Christ. What does that even mean? It means something different for a lot of people. But does it include consecration to Jesus Christ? And what He has for us? I think many of us can look back to a time in our lives where we put our faith and trust in Christ and we were faithful. We went to church all the time when the doors were open. We were there. We tried to help others. We were, you know, hey, I'm not very good, but you know, I'll, put, I'll put my time in. I mean, now if, we, now if there's a need in the nursery, say, oh, someone else will do it. Oh, work date? Nah, I'm too tired. Somebody else take care of that. And it seems like over time, we dis, our, our commitments begin to dissipate because we put our time in. In fact, I've had, I've had people tell me. I had one lady tell me it was not her spiritual gift to come to work day. And I looked right at her and I said, you and I got something in common. It's not my spiritual gift either. Imagine, we got something in common. It's not my spiritual gift. But someone else would do that. So, a couple questions before we actually get into the passage. And I'm sorry, I'm for a minute. I need a minute. Just get away from me. Right? What is it that we live for? Do you live for work? Do you live for your hobby? Do you live for your friends? Do you live for the special significant other? Because if we're not living for anything other than the Lord, we, we are, our priorities are wrong. What is it that we live for most in life? Number two, what is our motivation for what we do? What's our motivation? What is our motivation? Why is it that I live for this? What motivates me to keep doing this for this purpose? What's my motivation? And number three, is God included in the goals? Say, why, why does God got to be in the goals? What's that have to do with anything? If God's not in the purpose, and God's not in the end game, priorities are screwed up. Things like, I want to draw closer to God this year than I was last year. I want to learn more of the Bible this year than I did last year. Those are good goals that God ought to be a part of. They ought to be part of our lives. So 
for your minute, just for a minute, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 11. I want us to understand, understand the foundation for which we stand. In verses, verse 33 and following, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways! Stop right there for a minute. Do we understand the riches and wisdom of the knowledge of God? Do we understand that? That we have God's Word. We have the mind of God in this book so that we can know His heart and how, he, how we can live to please Him. He says, oh, the depth. Do we understand the depth of what God has given us? Do we rejoice in that? Do we revel in that? Do we, are we excited about that? That we get to take a moment to read God's Word and God is going to teach us His heart and His mind and His, and His ways so that we can draw closer to Him and deepen that relationship that we say that we have with Him. He says, the depth of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments, unfathomable His ways. It's like if we studied, I had a friend in college, one of the professors, he was so stinking smart it was just unbelievable. Five earned doctorates. I, I, we, you know you call those people lifers, right? They just, they're just living for another degree. The guy was brilliant. He was so brilliant, he couldn't really teach. I had, I, had, I had Greek five days a week with him. And I struggled. This guy rattled off Greek and the nuances and the parses and everything else. 900 miles a minute, and I could not keep up with this guy. I was struggling. C's and D's, trying to get through Greek. And I was dying, man. I was dying. This guy's so brilliant. I would go to him after class and I'd say, I don't understand this. And he'd like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And when he got done talking, I still didn't understand it. I had no clue. The guy was brilliant. Next semester, I went up to Dr. Gilbert Braithwaite and I said, Dr. Gilbert, or Dr. Braithwaite, I said, I love you, but I said, I can't be in your class. He kind of looks at me and I says, I, don't, I, I can't fathom what you're saying. Went to Dr. Lindsay, same material, same exact book, same exact handouts, went to A's and B's because he could teach. And I could understand how he did it. But here's the point. The guy had five earned doctorates in distinctly different fields. You think, and they're all Bible-related. Can you learn it all? You can't. We say if we were to write a book, Using the oceans as ink, you could never write enough about who God is. And some of us think that we've got a good bit of knowledge, so we kind of settle back and say, I've learned enough. I'm good. Don't need any more handouts. Don't need another book. Don't need to learn anything more. I got what I need. Shame on us. Shame on us. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom. And then he asks a couple questions in verse 34 and 35. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Rhetorical question, right? Who does God go to for counsel? A big nobody. He knows it all. He's omniscient. He's God the Father. He knows everything. He knows it all. And verse 35, another question. Who is first given to him that it might be repaid to him? Nobody. He knows it all. He's God. Amazing to consider. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Know what it says? Verse 36, From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. When you think about God deserving the glory for everything, do we give Him the glory? Do we? Do we give Him glory every day? You say, well, Pastor, how do you do that? Well, there's a lot of things wrapped up in glory, but a lot of the glory is boasting in Him. Do we boast in Him? We boast in our favorite football teams. We boast in our favorite baseball teams. We boast in our favorite TV shows or whatever it is that we live for each and every day. But do we boast in who Jesus Christ is? Do we boast and give Him glory and give Him praise for what He's done for us on the cross of Calvary? 
And then he says, if I can say it this way, in light of what I've done, in light of who I am, we come into chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And by the way, let me just back up for a second. Revelation 4.11 For thou hast created all things, and for thy glory they are and were created. And it goes on to say that in all things he might receive the pleasure through them. Do you realize that God says, I have created you for my pleasure? If you know Jesus, he said, I created you for my pleasure. No wonder. Let's just kind of put it to where you and I can understand it. When you have a child that's in disobedience, do they give you pleasure? Come on. No. When you ask them to do something out of a heart of gratitude because you've given them a home, they've got a roof over their head and a bed to sleep in and three squares a day and clothes to wear, and you ask them to take out the trash and they give you attitude, doesn't that just give you glory? Right. We understand the concept. Why is it that when God asks us to do something that it would be any different? Why would it be any different? You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor. He's worthy because He's created all things. And we exist before Him. What does Colossians 1.16 say? That in all things He might have the what? Leftovers? That He might just, you know, whatever you feel like doing, do? No, He says in all things that He might have the preeminence. Wow. That changes things. We don't we're not just supposed to just like get up and do our thing and just go, well, you know, whatever happens, day happens. We're to put him first in all things. We know who God is, we know what God wants. But do we understand that He created us? Not only created us, but He bought us, as we said a couple weeks ago. He bought us with his own blood. And we live our lives as as though it doesn't matter that he did that. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it says this. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold or from your futile conduct inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. He says you were bought. Not with something corruptible. Not with something that could be thrown out but with something precious, the blood of Christ. When we start thinking about our lives are not our own, because we have been bought, to me that changes everything because He owns us. He created us. And we won't go through the time, but surrender starts at salvation. When we realize that when he, when we put our faith in Him, old things pass away, all things become new, it's a different life now. And Paul exemplified this over and over. But knowing a little about who God is, what is our reasonable service as we talk about in Romans chapter 12 then? Therefore I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And I like how the Legacy Standard Bible puts that. It's a spiritual service of worship. The reality is, We're created for service and worship to God. So, what is your reasonable service? So, if I were to just ask you to be honest in yourself, answer this question in your mind as you're sitting there. What does it look like to give God spiritual service? Worship. What does that look like? What is your reasonable service? What is your reasonable worship? Second, where did it come from? And and if you're not doing it, why not? So the word present in Romans 12.1, this is an interesting nuance in the Greek language. I don't know Greek. I had 10 credits of it. I've worked my way through it. I don't claim to be a scholar. So for what it's worth. But what I could study from that word present, it's really interesting. You see, it's an active root word that means you don't just do it you do it and keep doing it so the idea behind present in romans 12 1 is 
to give all you got all at once and then keep giving it. You say, well, how can I give everything and then keep doing it? Well, let me ask you a question. If you were here this morning and I say, hey, I need you to give a $70 gift. And you say, okay, that's all I got in my pocket is $70. I put the $70 in. Is that the only $70 you're going to get in your lifetime? Probably not. Because most of you are going to go back to work. You're going to get another retirement check or a Social Security check or whatever. You're going to have another dollar another day. So he says, it's giving what you got and then continue to give. That's a foreign concept in our, in our modern world. But it's not just finances. It's with our time, our talents, our treasures, when they're all surrendered to God. It's the idea of I'm giving him everything I have, but I'm going to keep giving it. Even though it's hard, even though I may not understand, even though I don't know all what's included in it, I'm going to be obedient to it. So, first of all, he says to present your bodies. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 24 and following, he says that he might present the bride it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle in any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. He says, I want my bride to be holy and without blemish. To present yourself as a bride, holy, without blemish. So I think all of us, oh, i got two hands and a foot. So i got to stand on one. Of course, i got two feet now. There we go. Got the idea here that I can literally come to church every week, look like everything's good, and still have sin in my life that I'm struggling with. Anybody else? Thank you. Got two honest people. That's great. Um, let's be honest. We have things that we struggle with. And we don't want anyone else to know about it. Right? Does anybody else want to tell anybody else your sins? I mean, we're not Catholic or anything. I don't want to tell anybody what I struggle with. I don't want to go to no confessional. I don't want to go in a booth. I want to hide it. That's my nature. It's your nature too, let's be honest. We don't want anybody to know what, what it is that we struggle with. But he says, I want you to be holy and blameless without blemish. That's what the verse says. can't take it away. It's there. And yet, we act as though there's no problems. Colossians 1.20 says this, In the body of his flesh, through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Wait a minute. He says it again. That this is my desire for you. He says in Colossians 1, 20-23, but especially verse 22, in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. He said, that's my desire for you. But it's amazing that God has a desire for us that we don't even have a desire for ourselves. Sometimes. Colossians 1, 28, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And Jude, verse 24, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's what he longs for us. That we be holy before him and blameless before him. But we're to present our bodies to give him everything and then to keep giving it. Paul reminds us over and over that Jesus Christ will one day present us to God the Father. But until that day, we must be willing to get involved with the work, not only to present our others, but ourselves before God. In the life to come, Christ will present us to God. Think about that. In the life that is, we present ourselves to God. But in the life to follow, Jesus will present us to Him. That means we have a responsibility on this side of heaven to walk in a fashion that is worthy to Him. But then he says, this is how I want you to present. A living sacrifice. It's an allusion to the Old Testament law of sacrifices. The animals had to die in order for the sacrifice to proceed. But in the New Testament, God desires us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Here's what I want you to get. God didn't ask you to die for Him. He doesn't ask you to die for Him. You know what He asks? That you might live for Him. It's a living sacrifice. He asks that you would live for Him. And 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, But he which has called you is holy, so be you holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy as I am holy. In Romans chapter 15, verse 16, That I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, 
being sanctified by the Holy Ghost, that we should be set apart and sanctified. His desire. And you realize that word sanctified means to be set apart. He wants us to be set apart for Him. In Romans chapter 6, there's another thought I want to just bring out just for a moment. Verses, uh, I believe it's 12 and 13. It says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting your members as sin, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. It has to do with the idea of not only presenting, but yielding. Yielding is a word that, even in today's vernacular, drives me nuts. I've used this illustration before. I'll share it again. I'm going down the highway, 70 mile an hour. My cruise is set. And somebody's coming off the on-ramp approaching me. I got somebody in my left lane. I cannot move over. I got somebody behind me, so I can't really slow down. But there are, there's a sign on that exit or that on-ramp that says what? Yield. You know what the word yield means? To slow down and wait for it when it's a good time to merge in. But no, that's not what the world does. The world does, you know, they see that sign, it means what? Step on it hard as you can. Run me off the road. Make it so I almost hit the guy next to me. Make me got to jam on the brakes so a guy almost rear-ends me. But one way or the other, they will not yield. I think it's a picture of how we live in this world. Refusing to yield to the Holy Spirit. God says, I'm going this way, but God, I want to go this way. Well, I'm going this way and I'm going at this speed. Yeah, but I want to get ahead of you, God. I don't want to get behind you. I want to get ahead of you. It's the world we live in. So, well, not me, right? Because you're more spiritual than the average. I'm just being honest. I struggle with that. I hate it when people do it to me. But I'm honest enough to admit that I do it to God sometimes. I want to get ahead of them. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to present. I don't want to yield. So, let me just close with a couple things. I've taken long enough. So if we were to ask you the question, what is your reasonable form of worship? Your reasonable form of service in worship? So that's what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I'm sorry, verse 1. To present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. What is yours? It's not just showing up to church. It's not just about giving an offering. It's not just about being a good person. People do that all the time and have no relationship with Jesus. So my question is, what is your spiritual form of worship? Where you have consecrated your life. Where you have yielded your life. Where you have said, God, I'm willing to put you first in all these things. I've said for years, as, as a teenager, someone presented this to me and they said, hey, as a living sacrifice, are you willing to sacrifice your dreams, your desires, your ambitions, your wants to consider what God may have for you? Just practically. Am I willing to set aside what I think I deserve, what I think I want, what I think will bring, make me happy and bring me joy, am I willing to set those things aside to say, God, what is it that you want? Am I willing to do that? If I'm not, I have to really question whether or not I really know him and have a relationship with him. Our reasonable service is to give him everything and live the sacrificial life he desires for us to live. Why? Because of what he's done for us. Where does it come from? A heart of gratitude. Let me give you an illustration. If you were on your deathbed and in need of an organ transplant, and someone decided to give you theirs because of an accident or what have you, wouldn't you be thankful for that? I think I would. I have a friend who recently went through a kidney transplant, and a donor gave it to him. And he said, man, I just felt so grateful. He goes, I wish I could give them a million dollars. I really wish I could. Because without it, I'm stuck on dialysis forever. I'm stuck living in and out of a hospital. I'm stuck in this situation. And this person stepped forward and said, I'll give you a kidney. Changed everything. 
my friend, just, this just happened a few months ago. He said, I just feel like I'm so indebted because I got a, a new chapter in my life that is going to give me energy and health and ability to move forward like I haven't had in years. If someone did that for us, wouldn't we have a heart of gratitude? I think we would. So why not with God? If we know Him as our Savior, and He's given us new life, an opportunity once again to start not living for the things of the world, but living for the things of God, wouldn't we not be indebted to Him for that? Because of what He's done for us? Out of a heart of love? Remember, he bought us with the price. 1 Corinthians 6.20 2 Corinthians 8.5 And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. It was his will that they gave themselves. Philippians 1.20 According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Our goal is to bring him magnification to reflect His glory. Romans 6.11 Likewise, recognize yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Do we live in that kind of a way? And one more in 2 Corinthians 5.15 And that He died for all, and that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. What is it that we live for? Say, well, Pastor, why am I going in like revival mode? Why are you in, why are you preaching revival messages? Why are you talking about? I think we as a church, not just this church, but churches across the board, we forgot who owns us. He said the fields are white unto harvest, but the laborers, where are they? Where are they? Somebody else would do it. Ah, that's for the holy rulers. That's for the those who have, you know, they've been saved longer than me. They know more. They can handle it better. No. It's for all of us. It's for all of us to get involved. It's for all of us. This church, it's not about the building. The building just facilitates times of services like this. But it needs upkeep. So we paint the walls and we fix the door handles that break and we do this and we do that. At least somebody does. Somebody else will do it. Or the service opportunities. Fill the field. We saw people saved last year. We saw people come forward and give their life to Christ. That ought to excite us. More than anything. But somehow it just doesn't. It doesn't motivate us. Eh. Someone else would do it. How does God want to use you? Are you willing to let God use you? I think oftentimes of Demas. Demas hath forsaken us having what? Love this present world. He was more concerned with the things of the world than he was with the things of God. And because of it, that's where his attention went. And I think sometimes that creeps into the church. In fact, I think it was Adoniram Judson, a great missionary, who said when the world influences the church, the church will begin to lose its influence into the world. Do you believe that? If there's no difference, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be judgmental just for a moment, and I'll close with this. I've got pastor friends that live in New York City, and I'm I'm concerned. Because every week they got new tattoos on Facebook. And don't get me wrong, I'm not against tattoos. You want to get a tattoo, get a tattoo. Pastor, do you have one? Yes, I have one. I don't post it on Facebook every week. The new one, the new one, the new one, the new one. The same people that I know that do that every week as pastor and his wife, they're in a cigar shop trying out new cigars every week. And they're on Facebook. And then the next week they're at the local bar and they finally found the whiskey that they really enjoy and they're posting that. And then they're both into hoops now. They've got big old hoops in both ears and they're the gauges and they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And they're on that every week. Here, here's all I'm saying. 
that's in this, not to me, judgmental, critical. I've got friends. I, I, I'm not saying all that stuff is bad. What I'm saying is, what is it that we're living for? And if there's no difference between us and the world that we live in, why should they expect to want what we've got if there's no difference? If all we're doing is living for the things of the world, please don't misconstrue. I'm not being critical or judgmental of them having a drink. I'm not being judgmental of them having big hoops. I'm being critical of the spirit behind it and what it is they're living for. That's what I'm being cautious and concerning about. If there's no difference between us and the world other than, oh, yeah, I got the save card. It's in my pocket. What's the difference? What's the difference? He says, you're a peculiar people, a chosen people. And if we can't use the platform that God's given us to share the gospel, what is it that we're doing with it? If we're not using who we are in Jesus Christ to invite others into the kingdom, what are we doing with it? And I can imagine someone's going to sit there and say, well, I can give you the other side of all that. And I I get it. I get it. When my son first came to me and says, Dad, I want a tattoo, and I said, no. He goes, I'll use it as a tool. Right. Because everyone uses tattoos as a tool. Right. Sure. I watched him do it. Over and over and over again. I watched my son at a motel, and someone saying, what's Jeremiah 29.11? What's that mean? And I began to watch him share his testimony through a tattoo. I'm like, I was so wrong. I've said in my life, I'll be honest here for a minute as I close. I tell my kids, don't ever come home with an earring. I said, I'm going to rip it out of your head. That was yesteryear, by the way. That was yesteryear. I've learned a few things since then. But when I pulled into the driveway, and David would laugh at it now because it's funny now. It wasn't funny at the moment. But David came home with earrings after I told him not to. And I looked at him and I said, those better not be real. And all of a sudden, the laughter on his face turned to instant fear. And he literally ran down the driveway. <laughs> now, David and I didn't talk for three days after that. But let me tell you something about David and why I'm not critical of that stuff anymore in the sense that what I was talking about. David just thought they were cool. Okay, cool. I did at the time. But David is the biggest soul owner I know. That's the God honest truth. David has led more kids to the Lord than anyone I know. David, for a fact, reads his Bible more than anyone I know. He's down there. I go to his room. He's got his Bible next to his bed and it's on a different page every time I go down there. What I thought was important... Not so much. What God thinks is important is got to be something different about us. Something that sets us apart. Something that says we are sanctified unto the Lord. Not just blending in with what everyone else in this world is doing and being. I hope you know my heart now. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just saying we've got to be careful what we're living for. What is it that we're drawing attention ourselves to? Why? We ought to be reflecting. That's what John the Baptist says. I'm not the witness. I'm sent to bear witness of that. Right? He says, I'm a mere reflection of him. It's not about me. That's why Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. Paul said, it's not about me and what I got, what I am, what I, you know, whatever it is I'm doing lately. He says, I want you to see Christ in me. And if we can do all those things and show Christ, wonderful. But make sure we're reflecting Christ in it. Not just attracting to the things of the world and trying to attract the things of the world to us. Because we have a job to do in living for Christ. I, I, I hope that makes some sense to you. Lord, as we come before you, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I, I pray that you would, let, Lord, just draw us close. And help us to realize that we do have a spiritual form of worship. To reflect you. To be holy and blameless before you, Lord, as we've seen. 
But yet, Lord, the draw of the world and to be like the world and have the things of the world are so alluring. Lord, I admit, I want what this world has to offer. In my flesh, God, I want it all. And yet, Lord, I realize it's not what's going to bring joy and peace and satisfaction. Lord, help us to be careful. Help us to definitely love you more, reflect you more in all things. Lord, would you work in our hearts, draw us close to you. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just a couple questions for you to consider. What is your spiritual form of worship? Have you literally given your life as a living sacrifice to the Lord? Allowing Him to use your life in whatever way He sees fit. Have you surrendered it? Have you yielded it? Or would you say, Pastor, if I'm honest with myself, there's some things that need to change. There's some things that i got to do differently to reflect Christ. To show that I'm yielded to Him. Anyone that would say, Pastor, pray for me, that's me. Yes. Yes. All around. Can I just challenge those of you that raise your hand towards the Lord? Just take a moment and pray. God knows what it is, but just talk to Him for a minute. He knows what needs to change. He knows where your struggle is. He knows what sets you back. Surrender it to Him again, afresh and anew. Commit your life to Him again, afresh and anew. And allow Him to take control. Allow Him to do in your life what you cannot do in your life. Take a moment ask Him for His help. Let's all stand to our feet with our heads bowed. Lord Jesus, thank You for how You work in our hearts and our lives. Thank You, Lord, for how You take this, this, the experiences that we have and are able to use them for Your glory. Lord, thank You for how You've worked in our lives up to a point of allowing us to see our need for You, those of us that know You. God, thank you for doing in our lives what we cannot do for ourselves. But God, I pray for each one who raised their hand and their heart towards you this morning, Lord, where there is a need to yield, where there is a need to surrender, where there is a need to give their life as a, in, in spiritual worship, might we be willing to do it? With your help, through the help of the Holy Spirit, Lord, may we be obedient in this area. Be with each one who raised their hand and their heart towards you this morning that we might see your hand at work in our own lives. And we'll thank you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.